Congress to say, fuck, they're all there. We got a car. Hey guys, hey, send send your delegates if you want. This is the date. You don't have to take participate, but we got a ministerial duty. We just found out we got to do it. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with John De Herrera a little bit later. Uh, fun chat. A little all over the place at times and but it's a good one it's a fun one and we got everybody's favorite podcaster here graham i'm ready for the heat wave dunlop yeah buddy are hey. you ready for the heat wave uh yeah you're sure. glistening i'm a little disappointed at the heat wave to be honest with you i mean hey before we forget let me I'll, i want to get there but before we really forget, start till tomorrow before we forget the <laughs> it sure doesn't feel like it i know this is just pre-heat wave though there's an inner there's an, a, a cyclical internet interruption in this episode it's gonna be 20 percent hotter than this it's so just be aware that there is a there is an internet interruption there's not m- really much we could do about it at the time but he slows down every like 10 minutes or so there's like a little bit of a hiccup so just See, keep that in mind it's a little it's a little it. challenging the audio might be a little suspect Too i'm sure Darren will, will for the make internet <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun chat but where's all the I'm wondering where all the contrails are, though. And, uh, like, there's no haze. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of pics of blue sky. It's too hot. I'm wondering what. There's, dude, it's not. Don't tell me that. It's not too it, hot. There's, there can always be contrails. Did you notice? Did you notice that the. You could see the energy place the one day and you couldn't see it the next day as soon as it got hot? <sighs> Guaranteed you can't see it today. Yeah. Unless know, they're turning but, it on and off. Yeah, they might be. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Wouldn't it be yeah. on when everyone's got their air conditioner? I don't know. Why. Is that what that is? Is that an energy plant? Yes. Is that what that is? Directly for our city? Uh, you, don't know, you don't know if it's actually I, powering our city. I don't know what it's powering. So anyways, I mean, the thing is, I've seen a lot of pics from Vancouver and stuff. A lot of pics, blue sky, blue sky, blue sky. There's no haze. But sometimes, you know, you get those planes flying over and then the next thing you know, it's hazy, hazy, hazy. And is that cooling it down maybe? I mean, it's just disappointing that after the lockdowns, we're going through the hottest. We're breaking records for heat, apparently, in BC and Alberta, anyways. And they're just going to blame Isn't us. That good? There's going to be rolling, just be ho- rolling a good time. There's going to be rolling climate lockdowns coming up. When I was a kid, some good hot weather wasn't a bad oh, thing. I loved it. Down yeah. to the beach. Oh, the yeah. Kids no, I, we loved it. Yeah. Playing in the sprinkler. I like it now. I do. Yeah. As long as you have a place to cool down. Yep. I have my air-conditioned little abode upstairs I can retreat to as I get too warm. I can bring my laptop up there, do stuff if I do see so fit. Mm. Hasn't got that hot yet. It might this week. So I was thinking we'll um, take the boat out swimming. And on the lake? or I wouldn't go here. I'd just drive down to Travers. It's worth yeah. the hour and a half drive just yeah. to not have to deal with all the people. Yeah. 
you know. Cold, it's probably a colder lake too. Much colder. Yeah. Especially down cool. to that south end. The only problem on the south end is you can't drop the anchor, so someone's going to stay in the boat at all times. It Why? Because it doesn't like blow away on you if the wind picks up. Well, you can, you can swim to it, can't you? If the wind picks up, yeah, the boat will be gone. No. Oh, yeah. You're not catching that little skiff. What? If the wind really? Starts, oh, yeah. Can, do, you, do you know how to swim, bro? Yeah, I know. I can th- I'm a very I'm, good swimmer. I'm called the egg beater. My, I'm, Dude, I'm, I bet you you're going to fucking half drown if I get you in the water. <laughs> Dude, Mr. Egg Beater. You're the egg beater because you're just fucking thrashing around and not going anyplace. <laughs> it was treading water that gave me that name, so <laughs> you're right. A boat will move pretty quick across the water if that waves. It like, is pretty windy down there. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. It'll be gone. And well, now you're swimming a quarter I'd love mile. To go, I'd love to go swimming in, in a lake, in a cold lake, fresh lake, you know? Not like the one right here at all. It feels like. I might go down next weekend. Go down, do some swimming, do some fishing, then shoot a deer. Wow. Later in the night. Yeah. When it cools right off. Yeah. So I think the heat wave is supposed to end. End of next week. Big prime time. The animals start coming back out. Miles, ready to take down his first game. Nice. I'm going to take him out. He's going to take a shot at it. Right on. Good. Awesome. Yeah, so what do you got for us? What well, have you been I mean, doing? Well, I geez, you know, I got uh, some quotes from uh, an upcoming book and an interview Upcomer. for Gry America Outlawed with uh, Bruce DeTorres. God, School, 9-11, and JFK, The Lies That Are Killing Us and the Truth That Sets Us Free. If you want oh, me to boy. read some quotes out of that book. Now, or I also got a... Sort of for the Operation Project segment, I got that uh, thing that you sent me about the UFOs. Oh, I didn't send you that for the show. I sent what? you that because it's a giant nothing burger. Well, no, it's not. Darren, for people that aren't involved in all this and that don't care about UFOs, no, no, this is listen, disclosure. Listen, this is a big listen. disclosure. This is like... Natasha, not into any of this. Nothing burger. She was unimpressed. Did she read it? She read it. And what did she think? She was unimpressed. I know, but what, like, why? Her exact words were nothing burger. Come on. Okay, well, I'm going to read the, I've highlighted some of it for the show to talk about it. So I want people to read, you know, to listen to what it's all about, and then we can discuss it. I'd love to. I'd like nothing more than that. So which jingle should I play? Is this the Operation Project? Or sure, you whatever you want, first? whichever one you want. Right, we're going to start with quotes then. Okay. It's the profound quote of the week. Daring in the desert. It's the profound quote of the week. So, this is another one of these books that has quotes uh, all the way through it, which I love. So this is where he's talking about sort of science and energy and stuff. He says, black holes have so much in common with the universe. A new theory of its origin is always to be expected. Here's mine. Energy burst into existence because it wanted to. It was and is its intention to exist. The intention is the ability, is is the ability. If true, we are here because we want to be. Thoughts come to us and become things because they want to. They, too, are and have the intention to exist. If we knew that to be true, we would choose our thoughts carefully. To choose what we create, we would confirm what we were told. 
to build lives on the truth. We have our work cut out for us. It's very interesting. You're going to love this interview. It's coming up this Wednesday for Outlawed. Here's another section of it. When we see that the official stories about God's school, 9-11, and the assassination of President John F. Kennedy are lies that cause harm, we stop obeying liars and protect ourselves from them. Those who deceive intend to enslave. Those who would be free make the truth their God. Is it simply us versus them? Forces in the shadows playing us, we the people, against the middle and both ends? Continuous fighting against each other, creating strife, dissension, and death? How do we stop it and create a better world for all of us and our children and their children? We need to understand where we have been, how our institutions have failed us, and what we can do to make that better future for all. That's awesome. You can do one more. Um, that's it. That's all you got. All right. What was the other thing you wanted to do? I forgot already. The uh, Operation Project. Oh, right. The wapo 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 Anyway, so far, I'm, I'm enjoying the book. It's going to be a good show with Bruce coming up this Wednesday. Check out Grammarica Outlawed. You're enjoying the for book? That. Yeah. I can't find the oppo. He asks a lot of questions it. in it. I, I appreciate that. He asks a lot of questions? Yeah. What was your favorite one? Is every thought everywhere? Does that explain the coincidences we experience? Or the remote viewing done by our military and intelligence community? Are there infinite universes, infinite dimensions, infinite versions of every event, all possible past, presents, and futures, happening simultaneously, perpetually, as science or science fiction can imagine? Are you and I wondering how spirit is perceived? Like all fish right. wondering how water is perceived? Okay. Is it all spirit? No, no. That's all enough. alive? That's enough. That's enough. Maybe it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> But it looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified too. Dish fire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. So this is from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. It's the preliminary assessment unidentified aerial phenomena. June 25th, 2021. So literally like a couple days ago. And Darren's girlfriend thinks it's a nothing burger. I'm interested to hear what Darren thinks after I read it to him. So they're talking about all these cases that they studied from the years 2004 to 2021. And they're basically saying limited data leaves most UAP unexplained. So they've been able to explain one case. The others remain unexplainable. What was the one? It was a large deflating balloon. The rest of them are unexplainable. 144 reports originating from USG sources. Of these, 80 reports involved observation with multiple sensors. Most reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planning training or other military activity. So then they get into, like, basically available reporting is largely inconclusive. The UAP collection challenges. 
But some potential patterns do emerge. There's a little chapter on that. And a handful of UAP appear to demonstrate advanced technology. In 18 incidents described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual UAP movement patterns or, or flight characteristics. Some UAP appear to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly or at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. In a small number of cases, military aircraft systems processed radio frequency energy associated with these sightings. The UAPTF holds a small amount of data that appear to show UAP demonstrating acceleration or a degree of signature management. Additional rigorous analysis are necessary by multiple teams or groups of technical experts to determine the nature and validity of these data. We are conducting further analysis to determine if breakthrough technologies were demonstrated. Well, I mean, that's just stupid. Obviously, they are. So then there's a UAP probability lack of single explanation. So then they get into, there's five, there's five categories that they put them in. There's airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, USG or industrial industry development programs and foreign adversary systems. And then an other category. So in the USG or industry development program, some UAP observations could be attributable to developments and classified programs by U.S. entities. So she thinks that's a nothing burger? Nothing burger. We were unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. And then foreign adversary systems, some UAP may be technologies deployed by China, Russia, another nation, or non-governmental entity. So then they talk about in the other category, the UAPTF intends to focus additional analysis on the small number of cases where a UAP appeared to display unusual flight characteristics or signature man management. So then they call this, uh, there's, a, there's a section here on the threat, threatened flight safety and possibly national security. They pose a hazard to safety of flight and could pose a broader danger in some instances represent a sophisticated collection against U.S. military activities by a foreign government or demonstrate a breakthrough aerospace technology by a potential adversary. So they have, there's 11 reports of documented instances in which the pilots reported near misses. So they, this is under the potential national security challenges. We currently lack data to indicate any UAP are part of a foreign collection program or indicative of a major technological advancement by a potential adversary. So then they, they say that, all this stuff, then they say they lack data to indicate this. So it's, it is pretty frustrating. I would say it's not a nothing burger, but it's frustrating because there's sort of some contradictions in here. We continue to monitor for evidence of such programs, given the counterintelligence challenge they would pose, particularly as some UAP have been detected near military facilities or by aircraft carrying the USG's most advanced sensor systems. And then under the chapter explaining UAP will require analytic collection and resource investment. So this is like, remember we, we did that recording with um, Darcy Weir and Gary King about crop circles and UFOs. And he was talking about this, like this is like the white project requisition for funding, basically like, Hey, we're acknowledging these things exist. We need more funding for AI, AI uh, analysis, AI management, data collection. I mean, it's just. So they can get more money to chase their own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's not their own. I mean, who knows if it's their own stuff? I yes. Know. I got a great idea. Yeah. Let's, let's come out with it. Like soft D disclosure. We'll tell them we don't know what it is because we don't know what they we'll all are. We'll get a bunch are. of money to investigate it. Yeah. 
The initial focus will be to employ artificial intelligence machine learning algorithms to cluster and recognize similarities and patterns in features of the data points. There you go. There you have it. They, they, they suck the FAA's, you know what, here. They talk about the FAA a lot. They, they give it props. The FAA captures data related to AAP during the normal course of managing air traffic operations. The FAA generally ingests this data when pilots and other airspace users report unusual or unexpected events to the FAA's air traffic organization. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think people are scared to submit reports to the FAA. It's not like the FAA has been proactively collecting data. I mean, they might have some that they don't publicly talk about. So now under the expand collection, this is where they get to, they're looking for novel ways to increase collection of UAP clusters when U.S. forces are not present as a way to baseline standard UAP activity and mitigate the collection bias in the data set. One proposal is to use advanced algorithms to search historical data captured and stored by radars. So, I mean, there's nothing in here about all the civilian programs, all the, that's what sort of, you know, frustrates me. I mean... They could have said, oh, hey, we're going to work with, you know, civilian programs to collect their data. I mean, there's been organizations collecting data for decades. It was never acknowledged by academia or the media or anybody. I mean, this has been being investigated for decades by people. And this is just their own little thing. You know, it's just kind of gross. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's a nothing burger for us. But for people that, like, this is acknowledging. Well, I mean, she does date me, so. What? She does date me, so she's not like uh, she's closer to our side than yeah, a total normal. Because there is a, there's an acknowledgement here of anomalous phenomena, right? It really they they need more. They're acknowledging they don't know what it is. Out of all the reports, 144 or whatever, they only know what one was. They're admitting that they don't know what these are. So is that seems like I mean seems important from a disclosure perspective. For normal people to acknowledge the mystery, that's all I wanted from disclosure, was an acknowledgement by the media, by academia, not our government, that this starts, that would start with this, right? Word and it's just so fascinating that Mike, who's going to be in studio next weekend for an intro, he saw that he saw the same thing. It's not just a sensor anomaly. This is like phys they're seeing it with their eyes as well. They do say that in here that some of them have been observed with the eyes, not just through sensors. So something something weird's going on. I, I feel like if it's if it's if it's other countries or the US black projects, it's super, super advanced. Like from what Mike saw, it was skipping out of in and out of dimensions. Like there was a point on the on the frame that was caught in three places. One object, or maybe that it was just so fast skipping through that it was caught in one frame in three places. Like that's how how does that even happen? And then it was skipping from one side of the the monitor to the next, like one side of the ca camera to the next, instantly. Instant like there's no you can't even measure the speed of that. I mean it's thousands and thousands like. Phew. Right in and out. I mean, that's, I mean, sure, they could have that advanced technology, but I don't know. We'll have to see if more comes out, I guess. Yeah. 
Let's so, see what's next. That's so. That's all you. That's all you think, eh? That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really trust the source. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, either do I. I mean, this is part of the thing. There's a reason why it's coming out now as well, right? I mean, they're 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 priming us for something. Yeah. I mean, it could be just for money, but I feel like there's a bigger there's a bigger agenda at play here. Too. It always could be for money. Speaking of money, uh, if you're getting some value from the show. Uh, do remember, this isn't a free podcast, even though it seems free in every sense of the uh, word. You can download every episode in the back catalog. They're all there. They're all free. Everything. We don't really try to sell you anything. Actually, we might have tried to sell you some Audible and stuff in the earlier episodes. We also... Well, we tried a portal. People accused and... me of oh. selling potties, squatty potties for oh, a while. Oh, that was hilarious. I was yeah, I mean, not we couldn't even, No, but we couldn't even get a free one. I mean, they didn't even, get they didn't even want to be party. associated with us. Didn't like, even we're, want we're raving about squatty parties, and they didn't even want anything to do it. I was going to have them on the show. Time, they're like, no. no, no. <laughs> Not interested, buddy. Tell us. <laughs> so, whatever. If you are getting some value from the show, grimeamerica.ca slash support. Uh, if it's adding some value to your day, to your commute, to your workout, to your work day, whatever the fuck, wherever you're listening to the show, if it's making it a little bit better, how much better? Price of a copy, coffee, a cable subscription. Uh, newspaper, magazine, whatever you kids spend your money on these days, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation, whatever you can do. Of course, Graham's no longer working. This is all he's doing. Well, he did some painting last week. You're able to pick up a little painting job on the side. Yeah, a little scenic painting. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But uh, yeah, we're trying to make, he's trying to make a go at this. We can't do it without you guys. We love you. Grandamerica.ca slash support if you can. I'd love to get there too one day. I'm actually trying to buy a farm right now. So, you know, whatever you guys can do, help us push us along towards our, uh, because then we could do all sorts of fun stuff at the farm. We could have like, uh, you could do with some of your crazy rituals out back. What? You make a little Stonehenge back there and sacrifice something. Oh my God. Sure. Let's try it. What would we sacrifice? Um, A fake uh, God of the deep state or something like that. Whoa. Well, yeah, no, we won't play around with that stuff. We don't want to summon anything. Let's do a we don't want to get into that. We'll just, we'll just, no, I don't even want to do that. We'll just, just meditation. We'll just meditate. basic, just basic. And the teepee. Just if sweat we get a teepee, some sweat yeah. lodges. Yeah. Totally. So go America.ca slash support. Uh, we do have big plans around here. We've got things we're trying to do. Like say, Graham's trying to do this full time. We're trying to grow. I took a leap of faith. It's not like we're ready yet, but you know, not we got quite lots, there. Of time, lots of I'm stuff I'm still working do. full time. America.ca slash support, if you can, when you can. We'd love you for it. Uh, we could not and would not be here if it wasn't for the people that were doing it already. That being said, uh, you can also check out our other podcast, GrimericaOutlaw.ca, uh, where we have some, another 25 or 30 plus episodes over there. Interviews, an hour for free, two hours for members. We got, uh, must be up to, Almost 20 episodes over on Rockfin now. I think we're at actually 20 episodes over on Rockfin. And on Grimerica Goes Deep, all the video stuff for the Rockfin members. Uh, we did the first one was Ancient Mysteries and Lost Civilizations. And after that, we did Climate Change. And then the third was just sort of an um, amalgamation, all sorts of... Fun crazy stuff. stuff that finished off with Dave Matheson, which well, we it's not finished yet. I mean, you know, are we going more? Yeah, Episode sure. Nine? sure. All right, Let's we'll just it. fucking go Let's for keep it. Going. Shoot the moon. So, you're putting Dave Matheson's uh teaser in this audio version of the podcast, yeah, speaking right? Speaking of that, I'm gonna put the teaser for episode eight with our buddy, good friend, 
CAC uh, presenter, David Matheson. I actually just put the canvas up, but Dave and I on the stairwell this weekend. Nice. Walmart's out of framing material for the foreseeable future, so I had to frame it myself. Part of the wood crisis, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, what else you got? Is that about it? Yeah, that's about it, I guess. I got an email, but I'll share. I'll save it for next time. You sure? Might as well read it. Okay. Should I play a jingle? Nah, we don't need a jingle. So he's congratulating uh, me for... Uh, on the move to go full time. He says, hi, Graham. I've been away from Gramerica for a long while. I wanted you to know that I was pleased to hear the Michael Ronan episode because I see this to be the closest to summing up the work you guys are doing from the episodes I've listened to. I see that the simple summation of shows like yours is to bring knowledge that will guide and support the extending of one's responsibility to the facts of their life. That this type of responsibility can be explained so it can be eventually or instantly known true to know who we are. I'm hopeful, but the move from the speculation of a book written to the realization of truth through assimilation is quite the task. Mr. Ronan is correct. It is not the reverence of the guru that the student should imitate. However, finding the step towards knowing one's existence, knowledge, and blissful nature is a grand feat to realize discernment. Knowing how to be more patient or to relax or to surrender or to let go is easier said than known how to do when it is needed. I was happy to hear that you are now committed to this work full-time. Congratulations on taking the step. I see that Grimerica will be all the better for this. Best. Marty. Marty Leeds? No. Oh. Marty. McFly? No. Yeah, the, our, our past guest, Marty Hansen. Ah, great. A few years back, we had him in the in the studio. Yeah, he's there's a, some he's art a personal upstairs. Tra- personal trainer and uh, yoga teacher now and spiritual um i would say he's one of these guys that can mix spiritual philosophy with uh athletics very well and just from a personal improvement standpoint marty's a gem we should have him back on the show yeah why don't you get him back in here sure maybe maybe we'll do out loud with him Ooh, wonder if we could do an event with marty Oh yeah, oh, he would. Oh yeah, he would. He would love that. Yeah, a little Canadian event. Yeah. Little, everyone's always wanting a Canadian event. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll do that. Us. People we'll that do that. don't want to go to the states. Well, we'll see what happens with your farm and stuff. Especially but... now, if it's going to be difficult to travel still, then we should do something for the Canadians at some point. Oh, I guess. I got another email from somebody who's uh, out there hunting and farming and says that whenever we're going away like that, he'll uh, he'll join us or he's another local guy. So I'm trying to collect some local listeners' emails and stuff and keep everybody a little bit in closer contact. Yeah. All right. Great job. We'll have to do a meetup soon. If we can get the farm, we can do all that stuff. Yeah. Just have like events all the time there. And a place to wig out to. How much yeah. safer would you feel if I had a farm? You know, you could just show up there when the shit goes down and we could just like hole up way the fuck away from the city, got some food supply. I need to get like 50 chickens when I get out there. Have like 300 eggs a week. Be slanging eggs like a motherfucker. There you go. Yeah, I'd feel safer, probably. Yeah. Around here, it's not too bad till they get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Once they get hungry. Let's just enjoy this two months of the summer. (laughs) They start turning into fucking zombies, man. Uh, Enjoy this fantastic teaser with the fabulous David Matheson. Star therapy. Star therapy with the one and only David Warner Matheson. And then, of course, the fabulous chat 
with uh well it's yeah enjoy the chat it's a good it's well we started off arguing about shakespeare well no we weren't arguing i mean he's got some really good opinions i mean he's got sort of the mainstream opinion on shakespeare not like alan green who says bacon wasn't shakespeare but he's he got some evidence that yeah but he's got some evidence that says maybe it was just bacon we should get him on there to fight and then I and then I brought up maybe Bacon was divinely conceived and I don't know that didn't go very dun, well. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> anyway, enjoy the chat and uh, see you next week. Enjoy the chat. All those stories are based on this worldwide system of celestial metaphor that we find in all these cultures around the world. But anyway, when I first realized that the Bible was based on the stars, then I had to ask myself, well, then what's the, what's the point of that? Why is the Bible and all these other myths based on the stars, what are they trying to tell us? Is it just a gigantic, you know, crossword puzzle, an intellectual exercise, see, see how you can connect it to the stars? And I'm convinced that it's not that. A central part of their message has to do with this concept of self that you just mentioned, Darren, and recovery of the self. It's not just that we plunge down into this body and lose touch with the spiritual realm or whatever you want to call it the other realm that does exist that is real we lose connection with that but also these cycles are talking about we lose connection with who we are we lose connection with actual yourself that is what causes (laughs) there's a another psychologist who was a real pioneer is a real pioneer in trauma therapy, Dr. Peter Levine. Yeah, Yeah, Dr. Peter Levine, that Dr. Gabor Mate refers to Dr. Peter Levine. And Dr. Peter Levine says, trauma is the most, and then he reels off a string of adjectives. I don't remember them all by heart, but it's the most ignored, the most unappreciated, the most denied cause of human suffering. He throws in about seven or eight other adjectives, but it's the most it's the most ignored cause of human suffering. It's the most denied cause of human suffering that there is. Trauma is disconnection from self, from family, from wow. others, from nature, from the universe. Wow. And so and and I would say from the divine realm. So I would say that the disconnection from self leads to all those other disconnections. Because when you're disconnected from yourself, you can't empathize with others because you're operating out of these defensive mechanisms. Well, these parts that we have, we'll get into this, these parts of us, we all have multiple personalities. This other person would pop out. So I'd be talking to them about, well, this part that's cutting you or this part that's doing this. Um, what are they, what are they trying to protect or what is it that they want? And he said, during these sessions, sometimes this other person would pop out who sort of knew how to relate in a healing way to all the parts inside Hmm. already knew. And as I asked clients, now, what part of you is that? They'd say, well, that's not a part of me like these others. That's me or that's myself. But the myths around the world often have these big cataclysmic battles. Um, You can think of the Trojan War, right? The Iliad in ancient Greece, the, the Achaeans versus the Trojans. 
This is, uh, you can also think of the Battle of Ragnarok. This is a pattern that we find around the world, these big cataclysmic battles between two sides. Uh, in the Greek myths, besides the Trojan War, there's also the battle between the gods and the titans uh, or, and the giants. There's, there's these big, you know, Hesiod is an ancient writer from like 700 BC who writes about those big clashes between the Olympians and the Titans in the, in the early, earliest time of the world. And this one is from ancient India. Maybe you can tell a little bit just from some of the, that golden chariot there in the lower right. This is a very, very famous epic from ancient India. It's been called the longest poem in the world. I've referred to it before. It actually contains within it the Bhagavad Gita, but the overall arching epic has come to be known as Mahabharata. And in those two scions of the Kuru race, so they're both, they're both, you know, descended from these ancient ancestors, Arjun and Duryodhan, but now they're cousins. You know, this is two sides of the family. Those tigers among men, these are just, you know, powerful, powerful tigers among men, on arriving there, saw that Krishna was asleep and drew near him as he lay down. They both want to ask him to be on their side, but they're not going to wake up the sleeping God. So they just wait there. But Sagittarius, in this case, is playing the role of Arjun, or Arjun is definitely associated with Sagittarius. And I talk about more evidence for that in some of the things that I've written, particularly in that book from 2019, The Ancient Worldwide System. And here's some pictures of, here's Arjun and Krishna. This is a picture of Arjun and Krishna from the, I think this is from the 1800s or something, but um, or maybe even the earlier 1900s. But you can see that Arjun has his hands folded together. He's got a crown that's got kind of a, you know, <laughs> like a spike coming off the back of it, just like Sagittarius has a, a diadem or a, you know, like a feather coming off the top of his head. But you can even see the bow down on the ground next to Arjun, and you see his quiver of arrows on his back. So figures associated with Sagittarius will very frequently uh, have a bow as their weapon. And this is Arjun at the foot of the bed. So what is this? Uh, I put in some arrows. There's, there's Arjun. There's Krishna. You can see Krishna in this case is carrying like a looped kind of, a, I think it's a whip for driving a chariot. They're actually, you can see the chariot in the background. You see the it looks kind of like a sci-fi chariot. In oh, yeah, yeah, on the left there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a flag on top of it. So this is actually the part of the Mahabharat right before the battle. I believe that Commodus was being manipulated by, behind the scenes, the enemies of this ancient wisdom who wanted to get rid of it. And, and, and it was a power struggle. So in the Roman Empire is when literalist Christianity, the literalist interpretation of these ancient scriptures started to uh, gain more and more strength and eventually took over by the time of um, uh, Constantine. But it was, a, it was, and I believe that this juncture between Marcus Aurelius and Commodus was the beginning, was kind of the first salvos in that battle. He says, you have these different parts and you can ask those parts, hey, what, what job do you do for Dave? What job do you do for Graham? You know, that part that got really angry. You can actually step back and say, hey, we got really angry there for a second. What, what was that about? What are you doing? 
why are you so angry? And you can ask yourself that question. You can ask your part that question. Yourself can ask the question. Dr. Schwartz talks about putting a buffer in, or Dr. Gabor Mate talks about having a buffer between that when that when that feeling starts to surge. That's what the, the that space for being a present. That space yeah, for that a space. a response instead of a reaction, or maybe no response, or at least for a choice, or or saying, okay, hey firefighter actually i see that you're trying to do something very valuable for the team you're trying to stop that from happening can you just take a break because i need to go talk to that issue it's actually you're not going to you're not going to get to that marcus aurelius and it, it's a lifelong that that ideal that he's talking about until you heal that part that has that burden thomas is playing the role of a protective part. The other disciples say, we saw the risen Lord. And he says, you know, I've been burned one too many times. I do not have the luxury of being so gullible as you guys are. I do not, we, we can't get burned again. I doubt it. I don't, I won't believe it until I see it for sure. I've been burned just too many times in love, in whatever. That is a protective part coming in and saying, um, no, 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 no. Don't tell me that you saw the risen Lord. It's not that you're getting rid of the Thomas part or the whatever part. You yeah. want it to be, you want that team to live up to its full potential. But guess what? <laughs> They're not. They're going to be self-sabotaging each other yeah. and doing, you know, you're not going to live up to that full potential until you start to wrestle with these things. And the myths are showing us that. And yet we, at first, you know, this talk of higher self is like off-putting or like, yeah, yeah. like we resist it. Yeah. So the myths are like uh, showing it to you in a way that gets through those defenses. Yeah, I like the deeper self thing instead. That's good. Or the authentic self. All right, we've got John DeHera back. Herhera back with us. <laughs> um, you were on in an intro. Yeah, we talked well, about you know, the Constitution Article 5, and we brought you back to talk more about that and the Hopi. Right. And, and I thought maybe, you. I, I feel like you got something else that you want to get off your chest about Sir Francis Bacon and Shakespeare and all that. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's a, I, I Actually, I'd like to lead off with the Shakespeare stuff. That's, that's what I thought. It's kind yeah. of short, and it's something... It's, it's something for uh, the listeners, uh, the folks, you know, because, you know, uh, I just I just uh, came into knowledge of you guys um, like three months ago. It yeah. wasn't that long ago. And uh, so, you know, I've been going through your archives, listening to all the great things that you've recorded and everything. It's been awesome. And uh, so the one guy that you interviewed, Alan Green, the Shakespeare stuff, uh, it's it's. Well, I actually thought about this earlier. So let me let me put it to you this way: You know how in the soccer game where the guy almost had a cardiac arrest, and the that they stopped the game and stuff, and then they were raising the question: Is you know, well, should these guys be playing so soon after a traumatic event and stuff? And so, uh, 
So I was like, going, should you tell him about the Shamir stuff? Because it might be a little traumatic for some people. You is know? it now? Is this after watching the second one where he went through the on the video with all the deconstructing the the geometry uh, on the cover and yeah. all that more the pyramid type one? Right, right. I saw. Yeah, I saw you. He had, uh, I guess, two interviews. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we're focused on that second one. Okay, okay. So, anyway, so, so any of the listeners, anyone who's listening. It's not a mystery who Shakespeare was. It's not. It was Sir Francis Bacon. The guy was the son of Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, the quote-unquote virgin queen, right? She had children outside of that, and she raised them in her court. She was like her, her head uh, lawyer, which was uh, Sir, Sir Bacon. She's like, you're going to raise this, this kid. And so... It was her kid, the uh, ba- Sir Bacon raised him, and the queen oversaw his life. He was sent abroad to France and Italy, where the Shakespearean place happened. Um, and uh, and so there's all that stuff. But the the kicker is the kicker is is that Sir Francis Bacon, who is known to most people as the father of empiricism. You know, he was the guy that had us make that shift from rats are born out of bales of straw, you know, to wait, do we have any evidence for that? You know, what, what's going on? So he was that guy. But uh, um, he, he had a notebook that he kept while he was a young man at the court in France and at the court in Italy. And that notebook is called The Promise. And it's in the um, the British Museum. It's an actual artifact. It's in his handwriting. And dozens and dozens and dozens of phrases that Sir Francis Bacon wrote into his notebook while abroad end up in the plays, all over the plays. Do you remember so, why Alan said, because I remember asking about him about that and, and trying to get him to admit that, not that specific connection, but that, that there, there's a possibility, but he wasn't going for it, was he? Now, that's, now, now there is, there's an impasse. When you reach that impasse, then you wonder, all right, are they on the take or are they asleep, you know? Either they're on the take or they're well, asleep. Well, no, I mean, he could have another complete theory, you know, that they're... Well, come on. if the promise is an artifact that exists in a museum and it has all the all the phrases from Shakespeare predating the plays from what is it 1594 to 1596, the promise was written and the plays all start showing up in 16 something. So if if you think that it's been If you do actually do think there's you can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's coincidences, and um, and I sent you a, a, a text. But here's one of the coincidences: in Othello, uh, this this will be interesting, and we'll we'll end with Shakespeare on this, and and, and everyone can go check out the Shakespeare stuff at uh, at the links. But anyways, here's one of the coincidences. The tragedy of Othello was first printed in Quarto in 1622, six years after the reputed author's death. 
So Othello first appeared six years after Shakespeare, the Stratford guy, died. Though it had been in existence as an acting play for 10 or 12 years preceding, in the folio of 1623, it appears in a revised form containing, among other striking improvements, 160 additional lines. So here we have a play that its, its latest quarto, when it was the last published, had an additional 160 lines. Now, that's, that's, that's like a big addition, right? There's a, tons of other plays that was like small additions here and there. So 160 lines. And, okay, and it has to do with uh, these lines that, that have to do with some rivers in the Mediterranean. And, okay, so here's their example. It seems to be probable, then, that sometime between the date of the first appearance of the play on the stage, 1610, and that in the folio, 1623, the author's attention had been called to a title peculiarity of the Mediterranean Sea, namely that the current through which the Bosphorus flows continuously in one direction from east to west. William Shakespeare died in Stratford six years before this publication of the play in its original draft, which was, as we've, as we've said, in 1622. Francis Bacon investigated the tides of the Mediterranean <laughs> in or about 1616, and in his treatise on the subject, made a special reference to the fact that through the Bosphorus, the tide never ebbed. Interesting. So here, so here it is. Sir Francis Bacon is a, is a sovereign, right? He's Hamlet, right? He he's he's a bastard son of the queen. He's there. So Hamlet's all all based on that, right? He's 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 an an incredible poet genius. At that moment, uh, uh, with the you know uh, divine right of kings and all that stuff, he he came in there and he. Put his life into words, uh, and, and and so anyway, so it's a fascinating thing to look into well, if you are you know if you if you uh, want to adhere to it's uh, someone else then um, then that's okay too. Well, let me throw that. Let me throw this at you then. Ex- try and expand on it a little bit. What what if Queen Elizabeth was a virgin, immaculate conception, and Bacon was the result? Is Jesus. No, like equivalent. Oh, he's a new Jesus. Baby like, Jesus? like I'm, I'm just reading this book right now, and it's fascinating to me because it's about Mary and her f- mother, and the immaculate conception, and this thing that was happening through all the mythologies and through the ancient times with these women in secret societies, and how they would try to become uh, pregnant through divine intervention, and they were. They they are adjusting their diets and how they would they would have groups of of uh, they would do it in groups and they would have to they would be they'd have to be virgins and they'd have to be celibate and 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 save all their sexual energy and then they would sometimes get struck by light. I mean, this is going on like way more than I thought through the ages. And what if that that's more of a contemporary? I'm not through the book far enough to know if Queen Elizabeth is in there, but. No, no, it was it was known to all the people alive at the time. People like Johnson, 
right? He he basically said Sir Bacon gave us he said Sir Bacon took the English language from a third world country to a first world country because no one spoke English before Shakespeare came along. And so And Bacon so, was supposed uh, to be Bacon was supposed uh, uh, to be Oh, we're losing you again. We lost you again. Uh, what? Yeah, okay, right. I can hear you now. Um, uh, say it again. What was the Bacon. Question? Bacon was supposed to be from uh, divinely concepted by uh, can, by Queen Elizabeth. Or what um, did you say? What did you say at the I beginning? Uh, or was it Bacon? How did I, you say I it was? No, no. I, I oh, the divine right of kings. Oh, I, no. I was just saying that at that time, at the time, uh, you know, Bacon didn't like the people. You know, he called them the rabble. You know, the sweaty. You know, hogs or you know the. the, the so he was. Bacon was firmly in that culture. That yes, there there's a uh, a paradox. There's a continuum from you know next to God to far away from God. And all that kind of stuff. So I was just saying, in, in terms of that, in so terms now, of that cultural. Now, my understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. is that Alan doesn't Alan think Bacon's in on it. Well, now that's that's because really I'm just on his website right now, and he's got the portion of it that's called the players: Queen Elizabeth the First, Edward de Vere, Henry Leslie, Francis Bacon, John D. And right. then he's, so I think his premise is that all those people have sort of conspired to create Shakespeare. Um, yes. And I have been to the site and I did go through all those pages. But if you look at his page on Bacon, it's conspicuous that uh, he doesn't mention the promise at all. He doesn't mention the fact that the, that the dude's notebook is in the British Museum dozens and dozens of quotes that end up in the plays way before the plays were ever published. So if you got any doubts after that, and the fact that uh, there's, there's no, you know, letters, there's no drafts, not a shred. Here's a guy who supposedly is a playwright trying to build up these new plays and make them as rad as possible. There's not one shred of communication between any of them. It should be really clear really clear that for some reason the status quo people don't want us to know that Sir Francis Bacon was this rad dude was was a fucking literal genius all the stuff he did for science and the arts and if you do believe Bacon was Shakespeare I mean look at his all the poems and the sonnets and stuff the guy was a fucking genius so maybe he was I'm, divinely I'm, I'm, born I think What's he was that? divinely born. Francis Bacon to Queen Elizabeth. No, Apologia, no. you are my you are my own son, but you through truly royal of fresh and masterly spirit shall rule nor England nor your mother nor no. reign over your subjects no. yet to be. We're just a bunch of humans here on planet Earth. <laughs> all that all that stuff is part of projection and myth and everything. Now there could be truth in that projection and and you know I mean, if you look at our DNA, then you know that it can be unlocked and that we could all of a sudden live for hundreds of years, et cetera. We know that that capability is there. So, so there is truth to that. But up to now, the, the narrative of humanity, as far as I've understood, based on the information I've processed, 
is that this is like a grand theater. We're, we're at the tipping point here of what we're going to do as a species. And, uh, and we have all this rad, we have all this rad, we have all this rad stuff, such as Shakespeare was Sir Francis Bacon. No, it's so I'll read, I'll read, uh, I'll read the part off his site here. Francis Bacon, another spear shaker. Sir Francis Bacon, Barham of Verulam, of Verulam, Viscount Saint, 1561 to 1626, was not only a recognized genius, but also a man of many parts. A renowned philosopher, poet, orator, author, essayist, cryptographer, courtier, lawyer, parliamentarian, statesman, intellectual reformer, and master of the English tongue. He was first QC and KC, and in later life became Lord Keeper of the Great Seal and Lord Chancellor. So, I mean, I, I feel like he does call him a genius, and he, and he just thinks, and I, I feel like it doesn't have to be either or, because he's, he seems to think that, you know, he conspired with John Dee and a couple well, other people to create Shakespeare. So he might have done all the writing, and the other people have helped do the encoding. Well, he said that, uh, that text you just read, Bacon is a master of the English tongue. When in reality, Bacon was the one who made English masterful. He was the one who went abroad and all those words. Do you know how many words were added to the English language with those poems and with those plays? So that's I, I personally I don't I don't know what uh, Alan's story is. I sent him a, an email saying, "Hey, what about the poems?" You know, I, never, I, I never I never heard back from him. But uh, which actually, you know, I did talk to the guy at SirBacon.org. His name is uh, Lawrence Gerald, and I'll shoot you his number. I talked to him. I said, "Can you come on? Can you please do an interview with these guys, Grimerica? Oh, thanks, and, buddy. Uh, so he said he'll do it. So you guys, oh, okay. you guys mm-hmm. have got a Sir Bacon uh, episode for sure. That totally. would be that would be fun. Uh, yeah, so, it would be yeah, fun. And, I and, mean, and, and you know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to look at the because I can't. I'm trying to remember the premise of why they were all doing it, but uh, <clears throat> there was a bunch of stuff encoded in the title of the sonnets, and and it had to do with the pyramids in the end, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, well, maybe we should get all you guys on the show at the same time. I, I mean, I I could text Alan; he's probably yeah. busy right now, but we could do but another show Darren, down the Darren. road. Yeah. Darren and yeah, Darren, I, we've never actually uh, met, but hi. Uh, my name is John. I'm Darren. <laughs> but but Darren, uh, yeah, I know we've never communicated. Uh, Didn't we do a show uh, but, before? Um, Intro. Yeah. But but, yeah. But, but but yeah. But but Darren. So when you just said though, when you just said you said um, what they're doing, and you meant the writers of whoever Shakespeare was. What did you mean by that? Like encode. You you mentioned the word encoding too, and I wasn't clear on that idea. So. Now I'm I'm like paraphrasing probably poorly, but it's like the idea was that inside of all of the Shakespeare son- sonnets is encoded a bunch of this crazy math stuff and theorems that weren't even publicly available yeah. yet, right. which would sort of fit into the Francis Bacon motif to me. So it's like they had all this stuff that 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 mainstream science and academia hadn't come up with yet, but it's already in the sonnets 
you know, back in the dates you're referring to and mainstream science. I don't remember the dates or anything, but it was like mainstream science didn't figure some of this shit out for another 20 years. And the, and a big part of it is the title itself. And there's like four different mathematical things built into the title. If you draw lines between the dots. Right. There's all that kind of neat stuff in there. Um, but in terms of, you know, quote unquote, what they were doing, uh, back then, um, that was when the poet was everything, right? There were poets who were not concealed poets. And by that, I mean, there were, you know, uh, John Donne was one of our famous, uh, English poets. Uh, but those guys weren't part of the court. They weren't hanging out at the court. Some of them kind of didn't, so, but they weren't part of the court. We got to so bust into that fireplace, and then we'll know. In the altar. We got to bust into the altar. Well, now, that's interesting. And, and you know, it would be awesome if there was something. I mean, that would be Contact at the awesome. altar. <laughs> we'll bust that shit over. <laughs> Hashtag you know, not a cult. Should have done it now, during COVID. Part, part of me, you know, part of me, I've done a lot of legal uh, activism over the years. And I, I'll get into that in the article five stuff if you want. But uh, you know, part of me, I'm the type I'm like, wait, there could be something in there that will change the way we see how we're, we're, we're doing. So that's worth going to jail for. So like, totally. it, don't hurt anyone. It's, don't hurt especially anyone. where someone else Stormit goes to jail for it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Listen, I agree. The problem is in another country. Cause now I'm a terrorist. Yeah, no, now I'm a terrorist. Well, you know, it's such a big, it would be, it would be such a big idea to break on. You're like running uh, out with the scroll in your hand. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to be in an English jail for a little bit, but who cares? It's probably It'll more, be probably better than a Canadian jail anyway. Probably safer. Yeah, right. Aren't the, the Europeans are, are uh, socialized, right? They're going to be, the, the, I guess, oh, the boy. folks. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll be getting emails. There's probably no jail. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, fine. <laughs> the Bobbies or the just Billies? What are the service. cops? That's it. The cops don't even have guns. You know, you guys, you guys. The cops don't even have guns. We'll just run away. The word, you guys, the word socialized is a gnarly word, and and I could derive probably three or four interpretations of me using it just then the sense that I met that I met <laughs> in the most is derogatory that, possible is, is that as a stupid American who's been corporatized, right? I, I, I heard the French give give good prisoners croissants, yeah. right? You know, so, so part of it, that is like, it's probably joke, still better right? bread than also, we get here too. But, it's it's right. It's it's part of it's partly a joke, but it's also part true stuff. So, oh yeah, so yeah. So no, like, we don't. We I just don't thought, talk. all right, yeah, maybe maybe you guys are right. Maybe the English jails are better than the Canadian jails. Well, there's probably similar way to, to Canada, out. but yeah, they're, they're, I mean, we're not privatized like you guys down there. That's pretty weird, privatizing your whole jail system. Dude, right? oh my god. Well, yeah. you know, it's all part of what I call my term for it is the dragon's claw, right? It's slowly closing on us, and we're all sitting here going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And, uh, and so if that's the case, that's a really exciting time to live, and it's an exciting time to uh, test your mettle and really kind of uh, adhere or, or be um, uh, 
focused on what you're actually saying and what you're actually doing. You know, what are you saying and what are you doing day to day? Is, is it cool? Is it good? Good. All right. Yeah. Because guess what? It is possible to be cool every day and, and to say the right things and do the, you know, not hundred percent. No one can do that, but people can be cool. And, uh, and you know, the corporate media stuff, you see all, you know, overall a bunch of fucking idiots. Well, no, we're not. We're just, they just like flash that to us all the time. And, uh, so, Hey, let's talk about the article five stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cause, but I do want to say that I, that's well said, and I agree with you. I mean, it is interesting times. I got to bring myself back to like it, we are living in amazing, unique, a unique this, time. Oh like God, it's, it's so this, it's this that, to have that level time. of curiosity instead of sort of black pill doom scrolling is is I think that's really good advice. So. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So and leave time for the Hopi. We want to get into the yeah, Hopi a little bit too. So. Before we launch into the uh, Article 5, one moment, please. Okay, sure, yep. Yep. Yeah, he's just going to go wave to the train going by right now, going up the coast. He's in the industrial park. Think he's coming back? On the beach. Yeah, he might be gone for good. He's just (laughs) going, oh, there he goes. He's gone. (laughs) Okay, excellent. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. All right, so do you want to go with the Hopi or the Article 5? Uh, Article Five. Okay. How did it go? Um. So, uh, last report was we had this. Uh, we had ArticleVConvention.org set up as an online Article Five convention, and there was well, yeah, at present there's 102 delegates signed on there. Um. Uh. Earlier this month. We did put it to the uh, uh, people that are signed on. Should we cap the uh, convention? Should we shut off? Uh, you know, no more delegates. Only only this eighty of us or hundred. How many people were on that day? And uh, it was. Uh, I think it was six to two. Six people said no, don't cap it. And two people said yeah, cap it. So. Um, so there was a couple other exchanges about this one amendment um, regarding uh, creating a federal standard for voting and voter registration, right? So in America, you know, we were all just traumatized by this rad election and, you know, people's heads are still spinning from it. And, um, and so, well, if you're an adult and you walked into the room and saw the situation, you'd say, oh, well, you need a federal standard for voting and voter registration, right? Now you're not going to be guessing whether this state or that state got it right. And, you know, so, so that's the common sense stuff. And the Congress, of course, the 535 members of Congress aren't talking about it, right? They're just walking around talking about A, B, and C and all these other things. So, uh, so the... Article 5 convention that is currently existing on articlevconvention.org is right now. According to this amendment, which is a single sentence long, that basically says anything we're not talking about here is left to the people. Same thing with the 10th amendment. So, so uh, I did notice a couple other people just joined on recently. So it might take off. It might all of a sudden... 
you know, because it's a really great software for facilitating uh, back and forth and building consensus. And, uh, and it's there. And uh, so, so that's, that's happening right now. But I want to talk about the, uh, the practical politics of Article 5. And that is what's actually happening in America right now regarding that. Um, and I'm speaking from uh, over 20 years now, over 20 years experience. Uh, it was right after 9-11. I had, I had heard about a, a, the idea of a constitutional convention before that. But about a, within the week of 9-11, I said, the bad guys are going to get in there. They're going to do, you know, uh, they're going to try and pass all this legislation and everything, right? History is going to repeat itself. So I said, we got to have a convention. So, uh, so I, I, I set about uh, trying to bring about a convention, and I ran into Bill Walker, who was a constitutional scholar from the state of Washington. He had a degree in journalism, but he was a constitutional scholar. The guy knew everything about the Constitution. It was just amazing. And uh, that was his thing. He was an Eagle Scout, too, by the way. <laughs> can, um, you back up, can you back up for a second? Just explain for our global audience who's not American, like, what is the purpose of Article 5? Like, what is the fundamental, like, yeah. benefit? Um, the, the fundamental thing is, is when all the, the, all the guys were in Independence Hall in 1787, that was an actual year that actually happened. A whole bunch of white dudes showed up to this one hall. They sat in there for months. And before they left, Colonel Mason said, wait a minute, Congress can propose changes, but what if Congress becomes the problem? And, uh, and so they all said, well, sh we need a convention clause so that if Congress becomes the problem, the states can say, hey, we need a convention. This isn't working. Right. So and, when, and when you say convention in that regard, that's kind of hard to understand for people as well, especially myself. So when you okay, say well, convention, well, you need a convention, you need a, an, uh, an interruption or a, or a uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you stop something? Uh, Pause. Intervention, like an, it, it, you need an intervention. Uh, yeah, technically that's what it is. It's the state stepping in, saying the 535 people in Washington D.C. are no longer representing anyone except whoever can give them the most money, and that's going to cause a problem, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a rudimentary device that should the federal government become corrupt, if the states started paying in the convention thing and it reached a numerical count. Congress has to call a convention. Well, as it turns out, what happened was when we should have had our first convention back in 1913, it was, and it was in regards to the 17th Amendment, and that generation of Americans started beating the drum for a convention, the Congress said, here, 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 yeah, you guys can vote for your state senator. All right, you got it, you got it. And it staved off the actual... It it pacified the country to, to not say, no, well, you guys, we still have enough applications and, you know, people want to talk about other things other than this 17th Amendment. So it was the same of the old thing or the, you know, uh, where, where they just steamrolled over it. And then that generation of Americans weren't able to address what was happening. And then, but over in the successive uh, decades, 
It happens about once every 10 years. Um, a segment of society will say, you know what, this is bogus. The Congress is bogus, you know, and uh, we should have a convention. And so uh, the mainstream media will, uh, you know, run an editorial saying, geez, they're, they're really close to almost having an Article 5 convention. They've almost got all the states, all the states lined up. And, uh, and then they shoot it down at the end of the editorial. And, um, and they say, oh, my God, but wait, you know, if we have a convention, everything's on the table. You know, special interest delegates, maybe they might slice and dice in the Constitution. What do you, that's crazy. We don't want a convention. So that's basically the sales pitch. But really a convention, once you have it, you know, once you say, hey, I want uh, a federal standard for voting and voter registration so we don't get traumatized every, every time we have a national election. Once you talk about it, at some point, a delegate is going to say, I make a motion we adjourn. I make a motion that we talked about everything we need to talk about. No one's got any good idea. I want to get back to my family and friends. Right. So at some point, the convention, whatever they talk about, is going to adjourn. Now, when it adjourns, nothing will have been ratified. Nothing will have changed from what it is exactly right now. And that's the myth that people can't get over. They think if we enter into a convention, it's going to lead you know, to, to me sucking my thumb in a dark room. You know, it's just, it's, it's, I, can't, I can't believe that people... Uh, well, maybe it's not so hard to believe with, you know, conditioning <laughs> and, and everything. But uh, but anyway, so so. All right. So here we are. Boots on the ground thing in terms of Article five. In 2011, I was working with Larry Lessig, who is a uh, professor at Harvard. He's uh, he's been in the news here and there over the years. He's actually written a couple books that mention the Article five convention. And, uh, and so in 2011, we had a at Harvard in one of the halls. I, I forget the name of the hall, but it, was, it had these really beautiful granite sculpted things. <laughs> Standing on the steps, marveling at But uh, So we had this convention. There's 400 people there, a whole bunch of people from the right and left talking about, what is this convention clause? What are we going to do? And, um, and so... One of the groups that were there at that convention was this group called Convention of States. And that's been one of the main AstroTurf groups. Wow. Meaning a group where, yeah, they're talking about convention, but they're going to go down this path that has no real way of getting to an actual convention. Wow. <clears throat> and, and what I mean by that is uh, our group, the group that I was, I was co-founder of Friends of the Article 5 Convention. Uh, along with uh, Chief Justice, uh, Michigan Chief Justice Tom Brennan and constitutional scholar Bill Walker. And we founded that group in 2007. Um, and, uh, you know, Tom and Bill, as I mentioned in the, in the, the, the previous, the, the, the first thing I did with you guys, they passed away. And that's actually why that article5convention.org exists. Because I'm like, Tom and Bill just passed away. What? 
So uh, I have that domain, and that's why that exists right now. And it, it is there, you know. Who knows? It might turn into some. So did that AstroTurf group, the conventions of the states, come out to sort of take the focus away from the friends of the Article 5? Or? Right. So here's what happened. So we get to this convention, and uh, Larry knew, knew our position. Bill and, and Tom and I were there. And they knew our position, and our position was based on the congressional records. The congressional records of the United States of America are actually part of the Constitution because the Constitution mandates both houses keep records. So that is the living part of the Constitution. Now, in those records, of course, there's going to be state applications, right? It's not a petition. That's a different legal definition. This is an application from a state for a federal convention. And our group uh, had gone into the congressional records, and um, Bill did most of this stuff. I was, I was trying to uh, get a documentary made at the time. Um, but uh, Bill contacted some folks in Washington, D.C. They went into the records, and they started getting PDF files of the state applications. And that's on one of the links that I sent you, the foavc.org link. And uh, you'll see in, in one of the little links on the top right hand of the page, you'll see uh, applications. And it shows all the hundreds of applications. And one of the applications is, I think it's from Wisconsin. It's probably from like the 30s. And they say in their memorial, in the memorial, which is uh, how Congress terms it in application, in the memorial, they Congress, you motherfuckers! Can you? Can you? Uh, we we lost. We lost you. Already cashed. We lost you for a sec. Yeah, can you okay. repeat that in the memorial after the in the memorial? Right, right. So, uh, so in Wisconsin memorial, they to paraphrase, they basically said, "Congress, you motherfuckers! All these states have already applied for the convention. You have no choice in the matter. This is a ministerial action. This is your constitutional obligation." And so we've had applications like that. So, so basically, you know, I, 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 uh, I think I mentioned the, to the, this to you, Graham, in, in our first call. There's uh, the writer Voltaire, and he he uses the metaphor of I think he's the first English writer, or he was French, but he was the first writer to use the metaphor of visitors from another part of the galaxy rolling up on planet Earth, right? And they start punching and say, hey, what's going on down there, you know? And if that, you know, if that metaphor was put into effect right now, you'd say, okay, well, on the global stage, the United States of America is one of the premier players. And it's the only player that has a written constitution that has this provision where the people get to build consensus. So, so, uh, so anyway, so the only reason our world looks the way it does right now is because our Congress was uh, corrupted in various ways. And, uh, you know, in the 1860s, after the Civil War, there was a lot of rad stuff that was done, you know, supposedly incorporation of Washington, D.C. and connects to the London Bank of London, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but anyways, the, 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 the bare facts are that the Constitution has a provision for the people who are alive, not, not for the people, some nebulous thing, what does it mean to you, but the people who are alive 
It's, it's a rudimentary device to say, hey, what do we need to do? What's going on? Anyone, anyone got any good ideas? Right? That's all the convention is. And so, what? but having that take place, it makes all the politicians have to dance out of the way. Right? There doesn't have to be a, a bloody revolution. It's just the people stepping in on, onto their sacred space to say, what do we want to do? So, Hopefully that'll happen. And, you know, I'll tell you, we could get the call any day from Congress. I know that seems, oh, my God, that w they would never do that. So last, but I'll tell you this. This is uh, uh, a couple pieces to, to the reason I believe it's possible. The first one is um, in 2010, that was the uh, Tea Party Congress. And that was a Congress where they read the Constitution from the floor of the House on the first day of Congress. They said, yeah, we're the Tea Party Congress. And so they, before they started reading, they said, well, we're going to read what the Congressional Research Service has told us to read. And the Congressional Research Service is, of course, the research arm that if a member of Congress needs to know anything, they say, what do you guys, what's up with this? So they said, we're going to read what the Congressional Research Service says. And, uh, and um, so I'm sitting there watching like a hawk, and they skip over to the convention clause. They don't read it. <laughs> wow. Right? They skip right over it. We redoubled our efforts. So did uh, they just go like Article 4, Article you know 6? Did? You, know, you know what they did? They took off the last clause of Article 4, which is that the Congress shall uh, make sure that everyone gets to live in a Republican government. And they skipped over all the way until they talk about the ratification stuff of whether it's proposed by Congress or, or uh, a convention. And that is, that's a really salient point, salient point, is uh, that if you're afraid of a convention, Congress could propose an amendment at any time. They could propose an amendment at any time. And whatever they propose, you've got to get roughly seven out of ten Americans to say, oh, I like that idea, right? So, and if a convention proposes an idea, again, you're gonna have to get seven out of 10 Americans to agree to it. Uh, but anyway, so- So, so it goes to some sort of referendum from there? Uh, well, once Congress sends the proposed amendments to the states, they get to make the decision whether the ratification mode is gonna be like a little mini convention in the legislature. So the, what that means in, in, in practical uh, terms is that uh, if it's going to go to the legislature, that means the people are going to have to say, hey, my state rep, hey, dude, we want this amendment, man. So it's going to mean the people are going to be pressuring the, uh, the state legislature. Uh, and then, but if it's a little mini convention, then the states hold mini conventions and then they say, hey, should we do this or not? And in fact, the uh, the, when we got to start drinking beer again, um, that amendment was ratified by little mini conventions because that step is even closer to the people. So you're even removing the state legislators from the decision making at that point. Um, but uh, so, so anyway, so, so the 2010 thing, and they said, well, we're just going to read over Article 5. Uh, Tom, Bill, and I redoubled our efforts. We did a lot of blogging. I did. I did some, uh, some uh, uh, I, I uh, uh, had a criminal case 
that I got lodged in the court system regarding this. And, uh, and so two years later, in 2012, the Congressional Research Service writes a two-part white paper all about the Article 5 Convention. So you've got to ask yourself, how is it the Congressional Research Service is telling members of Congress, no, don't read this clause, it's not applicable anymore. Or, uh, and then two years later, they're like, here's everything we know, including this group, friends of the Article 5 Convention, who say we should have a call forthwith. Right? So they, How do they, they get away up. with all this? I mean, it just seems so disappointing that there's a means for you guys to actually do something. And, right. and there's not enough people with uh, momentum. Like, where's all these sort of independent right. groups? Like, where's all the uh, libertarians and all these people that that have all, like, the Dave Smiths of the world that are, you know, for all this political change? Yet, why, why don't they use this thing? with? Why don't they use their influence to get these things going? It's been something I've wondered many times <laughs> over the last And any years. kind of momentum you get, it seems like they come out with some sort of way to yeah, yeah, gaslight it or are. discredit it. Right. But, but, but here we are, right? Here we are, ready for America, right? The beacon on the hill, ready for America to break us all out of the cage, right? It's a big cage, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. So we're all ready to do it, but the, for some reason, the players on the scene are just like, well, let's do it this way. And going back to the Convention of States group, I watched them, because I talked to Mark Meckler there at the George Washington Hotel with Janky Uger and, and other people. And I watched those guys go, their ship go from zero to 3.5 million yeah. in, seven, in seven years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, Took them seven years to get 3.5, but the COS avenue was, well, we need to just cast one more application and we're going to finally get this convention, right? But that flies in the face of logic to say, well, if the congressional records are strewn with hundreds of applications and the clause has already been legally satisfied, why would you be trying to cast another application? Why wouldn't you be saying, no, Congress, you got to call it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's how they've staved off what's going on. Now, since the uh, the advent of the virus thing, <laughs> uh, I, 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 as I understand it, they're uh, they're like it uh, maybe getting close to six million. So they've over a year and a half they've ramped up a lot of Americans. And and uh, you know I I, I I have the Google alert right where I, I have Article V convention on there. So anytime it comes up in any of the local editorials, I I, I see it. And so this one woman, Margo, she's in Nebraska. She said, we're going to have a convention of states meeting in our library. You know, come show up. So I contacted her or contacted the paper, said, can I get her number? They gave me her number. I talked to her, talked to her for an hour and a half. They thought 20 people were going to show up and 150 people showed up. Right. This is rural Nebraska. This was this year. Wow. So this was, well, that's a good this, sign this, then, this, I guess. Yeah, this this was in February, right? So this is, so when I talk about boots on the ground, this is the point that I want to get across, is that it's happening right now. There's Americans that are saying, this is bogus, it's not working, right? It's not working for anyone. We got to do this. We got to have this convention. And, uh, and a lot of people, you know, are saying, well, current Congress is bad. 
what, what could a what could a convention propose that would be any worse than what we got right now? Yeah, you know. Exactly. So, so all, hopefully, all that is 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 it's it's reached to the tipping point. I think it's there. Now, you going back to your question, why has this been going on for years? We did all the all the groundwork. We got it all set up, but we did the lawsuits. We went to the Supreme Court, did the whole thing. Why are prominent people or people who have visibility, right? Chuck Chuck Norris wants a balanced budget amendment. Why why hasn't Chuck Norris said, you know what, we should have a convention because there's a lot of things we got to talk about. And this is one I want to talk about, but whatever, whoever's got the best idea, that's going to decide the day. We'll, we'll see that later, but let's have it. You know what? Patricia Arquette, right? I, yeah. I, I actually, one of, the, one of the blog things that I did was Chuck Norris and Patricia Arquette call for new amendments to the Constitution. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that spun some heads, right? Um, but, uh, uh, shoot, what was I saying? There's some but, meme uh, magic there. What's that? That's some meme magic there. I mean, get the get the yeah, control, yeah. get the the chans on it, right? To try and unlock it. So the question is, uh, why hasn't this already happened? Because it should have happened already a couple times. I'll tell you one time. Listen, to this. this is really interesting. So after the the uh, convention at Harvard, right? I'm like Larry, all right, and Sandy Levinson at the University of Texas, right? Those are my two bros. We were like. Sandy's talked about a convention many times. He talked about a convention with Bill Moyers. I'm like, here we go. We're going to get it now. You know, and there's many times over the last 20 years where I thought, oh, oh we got it now. But, uh, um, but it turns out after the Harvard convention, Larry Lessig got named as a, as a uh, uh, invitee to the Bilderbergs. Oh my God! There you go. See, and he just... went, and he went, and he came back, and his tune was changed. Wow! Truth, heard, truth, that. Yeah, yeah. So I watched that happen, right? <laughs> we gotta get to one of these Bilderberg meetings. <laughs> When's start, the next oh, one? Start was... up an Article Five. Get really close, and then you get invited. Well, we're right? Canadian. Well, you know, we all, now, Darren, check this out. This is an idea that I've had, right? You, you guys see what's going on. You're like, you, come on, you guys, you got, you, you have this unique government. You know, it's been, it was, it was something new under the sun. It had never been done before, and it's still there as long as the people say it's there. So I always had this idea: what if an international group was started up? That basically said, "Hey, Americans, exactly. you fucking idiot! Exactly. Hey, Article Five Convention, exactly, right? Yeah, you guys could do that. Well, if you the want. problem, yeah, but the problem is the Americans don't look at what's happening around the rest of the world. No, 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 they, no they, but, they but, but it, it, it could reach a critical mass yeah, outside. Yeah. Of, and dude, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a surfer, and so I, I, I know a lot of you know on Facebook and stuff. A lot of surfers that I think are the, the best and awesome." And uh, one of them, Jim Banks, an Australian surfer, he's into all the stuff, Cry America talks, all the stuff that people who are, you know, uh, conscious, sapient beings just trying to figure it out. He's, he, you know, he, uh, he, uh, I try to get him. I'm like, dude, Jim, if you and Peter Townen and Ian Karen's other, you know, Aussie surfer starts saying, America, hold the convention. The corporations are totally fucking us. Come on. You know, it could happen. And so, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it starts with Grimerica. Maybe you guys are like, you know what? Since we're all getting crushed by the dragon's claw, <laughs> we might as well, we might as well just have fun talking about the truth of the matter, which is, if we put enough pressure on Congress, they will issue the call 
which reminds me that's the, the, and I'll, 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 we'll leave off on Article Five on this note. In uh, uh, 2015, um, Luke Messer, who's a representative from uh, the sixth district of Indiana, I believe, and he put in uh, some language to the Judiciary Committee as a resolution that if it made it out of the Judiciary Committee to the floor for a vote and upon the vote, what that bill would have done is it would have tasked the director of the National Archives to go into the congressional records, find all the state applications, enroll them documents which they are and that would force Congress to say fuck they're all there we got to call hey guys hey send send your delegates if you want this is the date you don't have to take participate but we got a ministerial duty we just found out we got to do it you know what happened right so so well it well it never made it out of committee of course right, right. and so and so that when it when that resolution failed to get out of committee that really was uh, the point where you could say what I say on the article five commission dot org website, which is we're being held hostage. Yeah. The Congress yeah. is we've, we've got it all the way to the point to say, OK, you guys, you know, and and it and it died in committee, which, you know, all the good stuff does. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, so 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 really, that's that's where we are as as a species. Right. We got America. Here, right, the USA, the Constitution, those articles, those amendments, but most importantly, the articles, because those are the fundamental principles of government, which is that we know from reading all about Rome and everything that governments go south on the people. So we're going to make this thing so that if the government starts to go south, the states can chime in and say, hey, we need to look at this again. Right. So it's just rudimentary thing. It's there. We're all here. Um. I really, I really believe it's still possible. In fact, there's, uh, there's uh, another group. I'm not sure how far they are along because we kind of had a falling out about stuff. But uh, they're going to try another uh, online convention, July 4th. Good stuff. You don't yeah. want to? Do you want to mention who they are? Oh uh, yeah, it's articlev.org. Articlev.org. That's Dan Marks. I gave him that domain. Or no, maybe. Did, did, no, yeah, no. Give him. Um, and yeah, he went off. Uh, he, you know, he just had other ideas. And then when I set up the online convention, I told him I was going to do it. And then he came in and I replied to him. I said, hey, we're not quite set up yet, Dan, but, you know, bear with us. And then him and one of his associates started posting these declarations on the forum. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. We're not posting. We're talking about amendment language. This yeah. is an article five convention. Yeah. And so then we had a falling out about that. And I haven't heard from, I think he's a great guy. He's done some great work. He's, he's definitely kept me going a couple of times where I was flagging. I was like going dude, Oh no, I can't take any more. But he's like, no, dude, come on. We got to keep going. So, uh, so he's a good guy. We just had a falling out about that. And, um, and so that so so the most important thing that I want to say to anyone who's listening 
is that is where we are in reality. Of all us little human beings on this planet, the Bratis Nation is now kind of becoming aware of this provision that we don't have to take this anymore. Maybe that post-election and, trauma will get it done. You know, that's, that, yeah, I was hoping that, but, but the, the, the beauty is, I guess, you know, I, I, I you know, I, uh, I don't own any guns. My, my brother's a hunter and everything. He's full on, you know, Trumpville and everything. Uh, but the reason we're still here is because the, uh, this nation is a nation of gun owners and they would have already done something if they could have. Yeah. Fascinating. All right, buddy. Thanks for that wrap up. Let's get into the Hopi stuff. Yeah. All right, the Hopi stuff. The Hopi stuff. Uh, you, you sent me. You sent me an article which which talks about them going to the UN in the late sixties, right. I think, and, right. and talking about they're worried right. about war and all that. But I mean, we read a fantastic uh, Hopi prophecy when we did that Australian Uluru Uluru, and and I mean it's it's just it was kind of scary actually. Uh, how, how prescient it was just just that what they were saying about how we need to get our shit together basically right um okay all right the, so the hopi thing okay so the hopi uh their cosmology is unique in that they have said from the very beginning what their god told them and um, I've hung out with the Hopi on this Mesa a couple times, uh, you know, partied with them. We, we, the, the fun thing, I Volvo wagon and drive from the Mesa down to Winslow, get stoned, drink all the way down, get stoned and drink all the way back. I look at the beautiful landscape, listen to you. And, uh, and they showed you, they showed, you know, I, I saw, you know, uh, their, their cornfields, the cornfields, traditional cornfields and, um, the wells and stuff. And I, and I want to say this because I want to preface it, preface anything that I say about the Hopi. And that is that I've been all across America, the 48 states, uh, every state except Alaska, as I mentioned, um, you know, five, six times a piece. And, uh, and I've been running around talking about the Article 5 stuff. And what I found out is that Americans don't even know their own culture. They don't even know what the truth of the matter is. When I've hung out with the Hopi, those guys are awesome. We had a good time. I hope we get to see Desmond and uh, the Sun Chief there again i mean to go out there again but what i came to realize hanging out with the hopi is the hopi don't even know their real culture anymore based on stuff that has been written back at 1901 1910 you know even the 1960s there's stuff that living hopis today if you tried to say something to them about it it would just you know they they could just like americans can't process that a convention is not dangerous it's why we're so, so I just want to say that uh, I, 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 of course, have my own opinions based on my experience, uh, and and I'll I'll, I'll I'll be keen to you know say that it's an opinion, but to start out the Hopi stuff, um, uh, the Hopi cosmology 
is the story about what their God told them. And the cosmology is this, that uh, there's Dawa, and he created his nephew, uh, Sotuknang. And Sotuknang woke up and he said, who am I and why am I here? And he said, you're my nephew. I want you to go create seven universes for me and, uh, and the future. So he goes out, creates seven universes, comes back, and says, here, how, how do I do? He's like, so talking, uh, was like, you did a great job, awesome. Now I want you to go find Spider-Woman and create life. All right, so we get to this thing. Now, of the seven universes that were created, we've already been through, according to the Hopi, we've already been through three of them. So we've already had three previous civilizations. You guys know there's plenty of evidence for this, right? There's all kinds of forbidden knowledge, all those. What was, what's that guy's name who did uh, forbidden archaeology? I forget his name. Cremo? Um, Michael Cremo. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, Michael Cremo. And uh, so, so all this has been dark. There's been previous civilizations. When, when the Hopi... At the end of each civilization, it was because humans got debauched. They got mockingbirded by, by someone. One, one, it was like a turquoise woman or something. I, I, I actually shouldn't be saying that kind of but, but it was, it was, there was you know, the people got misled by, by, by different. Uh, one was, it was this woman who was just insanely beautiful, and she had a beautiful voice, and everyone just did whatever she said. And uh, that was the end of one of the uh, civilizations. Uh, but there's been three of them that have been human civilizations become debauch. So de- debauch uh, as in debauchery kind of thing or debauch? As in, as in, as in we were not, uh, we were not um, uh, remaining, co- remaining conscious that the son is, is the dad and the earth is the mom and we shouldn't, we shouldn't denigrate them at all. We shouldn't despoil them at all. We should treat them. Well, you, we don't have to treat the sun. The sun, the sun treats us how, how the sun. Well, uh, we can, I mean, we can block it for sure. Well, the sun, the sun, as you know, uh, is, you know, you, I think you can fit, uh, you know, a million earths inside the sun. So the sun, uh, and according to the Hopi, one of the worlds, one of the civilizations ended by fire. And that correlates and matches up with the Tibetans, who in their cosmology, one of the worlds also ended by fire. And in, in terms, scientific terms, of course, that's a solar flare. The sun ever, what if the sun ever, you have the sun consciousness. You guys have heard of Rupert Sheldrake, right? Yeah. Rupert yeah. Sheldrake, you guys heard of that guy? Yeah. You know, and he's got the, the paper, he's a sun conscious. That, that every self-organized entity has some vibrational level and and everything. So if the sun's conscious, the sun could say, no, nope, time to hit the reset button on the humans. They're out of control. You know, if that's relationship. And then also there's been a pole shift, right? So that's the earth saying, no, nope, we're going to hit the reset button. So some of the Hopi stuff seems so to match, been- like seems to match some of the, uh, <clears throat> as far as the pole shift goes too. some of the, uh, the sort of the Norse mythologies or the Hyperborea type type stuff, or even the, I guess the Vedas and the they talked about that that happening. I think so. It seems to match this other other mythologies. So yeah, this is what's so insanely beautiful about the Hopi. 
everything they say, all the everywhere else around the globe says, well, that's what the Hopi were saying. You know? so, so that's why the Hopi are, 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 are I mean, they're, it's, uh, and, and we'll talk about it. So I got, all right. So, uh, all right. So uh, one thing I did want to mention that I didn't mention is that when human beings are created, human beings, according to Hopi cosmology, were created for two things, to create joyful sounds and joyful movements. That's why we're here. That's what we're meant to do. Free of charge, right? Tesla already got already got its free energy for fair and square. But anyway, anyway, so that's a, but anyway. So, so so according to the Hopi, that's why we're here. So anyone ever ask you why we're here? Tell them. According to the Hopi, we're here to make joyful sounds and joyful movements. So anyway, so the three gener so three civilizations end, right? And now at, at the end of each uh, civilization, uh, uh. Either one of the, the, the brothers who uh, attend to the poles, or Spider Woman, I forget. But they find the Hopis who are still doing the Hopi uh, way of life. They lead them to the ant people. They go in underground. Then the earth goes through its catastrophe. And then the, people, the, the righteous people are let back out onto the earth and try again. Wow. And, uh, and so, uh, and that all kind of points to inner earth stuff, you know, the ant people, all that. I, mean, I don't have any evidence of that, uh, myself. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, I've never seen a UFO. I've never seen an alien. I've never seen a ghost. So I'm still very, you know, empiricist, uh, minded, but, uh, but we know, we've heard a lot of stuff, a lot of myth, a lot of stories that there is underground stuff. This connects to the Hopi cosmology that the the righteous that are right. So so now so now it's the end of the third world, and now we're going to move into the fourth world, and that's the world we're in now. We're according to the Hopi, we are now at the end of the fourth world because this was the prophecy that the elders were given that when the gourd of ashes is dropped on Mother Earth. The elders alive at that time were to go to the house of glass, the house of mica. To them, mica is a mineral that's like glass. They were supposed to go to the house of glass on the eastern shore and address the leaders of the nations that if they didn't become peaceable and blend with the land, they would cause a catastrophe. Right? So when the atom bomb was dropped on Japan, the Hopi elders alive at that time in what was it, 1940-something? The Hopi elders alive in Arizona at that time said, well, that's the Gord of Ashes. Okay. And, and the UN building is the House of Glass. And now we're going to carry out our prophecy, our instructions from our God, and we're going to now go, for, we're going to try four times, we're going to go try and address the leaders of the nations and tell them if they don't become peaceable and blend with the land, you're going to cause a catastrophe. And so the link that I, or the text I sent you, I hope you can put that up for folks. It's from a 1953 Wall Street Journal editorial making fun of Hopi elders trying to address the General Assembly. 
and, and bring their message. Now, uh, they did, they did uh, fulfill their instructions. They did uh, go four times to the UN. And then it was the 90s, and like a couple of the last Hopi elders uh, who really knew everything, you know, to the extent that uh, perhaps needed to be known, uh, they passed away. I think Thomas Bianca. Uh, and I'm not sure if I have the pronunciation of his last name correct, but uh, he was one of the last elders, and I think he passed in 2001. So, but in the prophecies, also the stuff that their God told them, they said, oh, this is a really neat part. I'm glad I remember this. Um, uh, when they got, when they came out of the ground into the fourth world, they said uh, they were told to go find their God. They found their God, and their God said, okay, you guys have to now do four migrations around this hemisphere. And after you're done with four migrations, come back here and meet me. So the different clans with different ways, and those migrations, according to science, is actually the origin of all the red people. From 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 Tierra del Fuego till to the the Arctic, the the, the Hopi seeded this hemisphere, and um, and so they did that. They did as instructed, and uh, they came back to uh, the Four Corners area, northeastern Arizona, and their God told them. They said, "Okay, here's how you're going to live. Here's how you plant corn." This is how you do it. Here's the springs on these mesas that we've picked out for you and stuff. And um, here's how you build rock apartments and live in. You're going to live here for a couple thousand years, just like this, just like we told you. You're going to have everything you need. It's going to be, be paradise. But after a while, these people are going to show up. These assholes are going to show up, and they're going to call themselves Navajo. But you be nice to them, give them some of your land, and coexist. Now, after the Navajos show up, a couple hundred, couple thousand years after, a couple thousand years after that, these other assholes are going to show up. And they're going to be white dudes. But you be good, coexist and stuff, and you live for that day when the Gourd of Ashes drops so that the elders alive then can carry out the instructions. So, here we have a situation where the cosmology of a people have a God telling them all this stuff that's going to happen that has come already come to pass and everything. And, uh, and all this, all this stuff that, you know, in the prophecies, like there's going to be uh, chariots in the sky. There's going to be spider webs across the land and communication. They describe all this stuff and, and even some of the es esoteric stuff, uh, which is uh, one bit um, that I remember reading somewhere obscure. I'm trying to remember where that was. Is there somewhere but, that's collating a lot of this stuff that if people want to go deeper into the <laughs> the Hopi prophecies and all this? I mean, it sounds fascinating with the spider web, the internet. Basically, they predicted the internet. Right, right, right. Um, basically, because of the deleterious effects of corporate America, it's just, it's just been all splintering, you know, 
every day. I was and that, that I'm even here really is, you know, I mean, cause I've, I've, uh, you know, uh, that I'm here is, you know, that I have, I have this composite of information really is kind of, it's, I, 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 occasionally I reflect on it and I go, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know? But, uh, but anyways, I, I have dug for that, you know, for years because, because, you know, ultimately, actually I'll answer that question. Uh, if you'll allow it, I, I'm a poet, you know, that's, that's where I grew up as I was, you know, I, I, I was always painting and drawing as a child, like as most artists. But at age 10, I wrote a poem and I was like, oh, my God, dude, you're a poet. Right. And then I chased the literary life for 40 years. But all that literary, literary stuff was really the poet. And the poet has to know the truth, because how is he going to write the raddest poem ever? Right. How is he going to raise consciousness? So as a poet, which is a real thing, which I am. Right. But uh, so, so I'm this guy who's always been digging for the truth. When I ran into the Hopi, I'm like, oh, my God, this is tying together all kinds of stuff, right? And Article 5 and all this. But the Hopi stuff, what's really interesting is that their God told them some white dudes, some assholes were going to show up in the future. Now, in terms of ancient alien stuff, what that means is that the ancient aliens, they wound up the, the top over in Europe, right? They, they spun that all together and everything. Then they got the, the Western Hemisphere all spinning together for this, like, grand thing of, of oh, now they're dropping the atom bomb. And, you know, it's, so what I believe, the, my takeaway is that the sun and the earth are conscious and they, they still are holding out hope for us. Right on. Fascinating. It is. It's, it's, I, I want to learn more. I do. There you have it. And, yeah. There's, you're well, going to learn more about uh, yours, I think, right? You're, I got all sorts of plans. Yeah. But uh, I don't know when I'll get to the Hopi. So did the UN, Hopi did, the, not did, that, did that like get through to the UN at all? Uh, like it must I have woken know, up. I, I, it must I, have woken I, up a I, few I, people. Like I, you know, you know that would be a really neat documentary. Is to is to try and find yeah. those documents. I know they're in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And I know that you know. I actually, I, there is somewhere on the internet. I believe there is one of the transcripts of one of the Hopi elders addressing the General Assembly at, at one of those one of those uh, meetings. That'd be a great thing to read or narrate or something. You know, I just like a part of history that really. It's sort of interesting and just hidden there, you know? Nobody's really talking about it. Because it must have woken yeah. up some people. I mean, must have. You know. Because okay, that was, well, I feel like that was before the UN was fully corrupted into what it is now. Nah, it's always been corrupt. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it, 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 I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, my, my sense is that um, um, it's, that there's a flux. You know, and, and, and yes, the facts are, you know, if you, if you, you know, uh, if you look at all the facts, if you look at, the, you know, the uh, burn treaties in, you know, the Bank of London and the Bank of International Settlements and all that, then you say, no, no, they've always, always had it in hand. The, the bad guys have always had it in hand. But, um, but why are they letting us talk about a convention, right? Why did they let us go through 20 years of building this thing up and everything and uh, that's there. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, one of the reasons I know a lot about the Hopi is because, you know, uh, 
I, I, I published a novel in 2006, and I published a translation of Shakespeare. And, uh, and so after I did those, I said, I'm never fucking writing a book ever again. You can't fucking get me to do it. No way. It's the gnarliest thing you could ever do. And, uh, and four years ago, this new book started knocking on the door. Saying, hi, where's, where's your new book? You're, you know, and then, so, so I have four years of work into this new book. And part of that work is uh, the guy who wrote the book of the Hopi, a guy named Frank Waters, um, he, uh, he passed away, but his wife has held on to the Frank Waters Foundation in Arroyo Seco, New Mexico. And so when I was getting into the Hopi stuff, I'm like, okay, man, in this novel, you're going to tell all this Hopi stuff. And so when I was, I was doing a little research, I found out, oh, my God, the Frank Waters Foundation. So I contacted her, talked with her, and I was writer in residence at Frank Waters' house in Arroyo Seco, this adobe house that he, that he got. And, uh, and <laughs> that turned into a whole other chapter. It's a gnarly chapter. But, uh, but I lived out there, and, um, and uh, the, 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 his wife, uh, who right now I'm forgetting her name, Barbara, uh, Barbara uh, uh, ended up in the hospital while, while I was there at the residence. And so I, they wanted me to stay in the house with the dogs and stuff. And one, uh, one night I'm looking at the bookshelf and everything, and I found uh, this is Frank Waters' house. And he actually has, besides the book of the Hopi, he also has a book called Pumpkin Seed Point, which is about the three years that he lived with the Hopi to try and get all their cosmology together. Wow. That. So are you, when, when is this? So so I'm there and I'm I'm hanging out and, uh, uh, and I found under the bookshelf, the Eagle's cry, which was the, 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 the newspaper was the Hopi newspaper. There's a stack of the Eagle's cry from this period where the tribal council was going nuts of, of all the traditionals were saying, no, come on, we got to stay with our, you know, with, with what we know. And then the, all the other people say, no, let's become Christians and, you know, drive Ford pickups. Um, there was all that, that stuff that, uh, that uh, was there uh, recorded in, in the newspaper and stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, may, you know, there might be a bullshit tomorrow. You know, the, the Yosemite might blow up. The Earth and Sun could say, "Yeah, you know, it's it's time to hit the reset button." So but, when uh, when are you going to come up with this book then? Uh, uh, I have a little writing cave out in the desert that I drive to, and I just got a really good. I, I sell I sell color field art. You know, so so like contemporary stuff. You know, stuff like this right here. So this is this is uh, this is an oil painting on board, you know, stuff like that. I got color field stuff. So I, I uh, so I I sell it. There's a lot of uh, upscale foot traffic here in in the arts district. So I sell all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I just had a really good sale uh, on Memorial Day weekend. Some uh, hotelier bought sixty pieces. Nice. Yeah. So, so I'm just like. 
So I'm just like, all right, you got some dough, you got your car put together, go, go right. So in answer to your question, dude, I got to finish the novel. You know, right? Part of me is like, no, pretty pictures and have fun all day. Right. <laughs> uh, which I want to do, but, but no, I am going to finish it. And, uh, and uh, after this last sale, uh, earlier this spring, I went out to the writing cave and I got, I crushed this one chapter where if you've ever written a book, especially a novel, you have all this raw material, right? You, this, this file has got all this raw material and you know, it's all there, but you got to arrange it. You got to crunch it all. You got to hammer it all together into this something. And so I, I, it was a big chapter and I got that finished. And, uh, the Hopi chapter is two thirds finished. And, uh, so I will, I'm, 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 I'm I want. I would like to have a rough draft by the end of this year. Hopefully, let us know when it comes. Let us know when you get there. Yeah, Graham will yeah. narrate it. Yeah, for I'll, you. I'll, I'll narrate it for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I heard you guys mention that you you, there, you, you guys got a whole bunch of titles yeah. that you want to put on books on tape. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm yeah. totally down with that. So, yeah. so after I after I finish the novel, I'll, I'll you know I'll, I, and I added recording for the blind and dyslexic. Here in Santa Barbara, I did it for like five years. I'd go in and read oh, books. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on again. It's fascinating chat. You yeah. guys, you yeah. guys, I mean, I can't tell you how really this was really cathartic for me because it's some, you know, all I go put all that stuff together into one talk and I had not done that before and it felt really good. So awesome. I really appreciate it so much. Awesome, buddy. Thanks. Keep in touch. Totally. Thanks, John. Yeah. Good luck with the convention. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if uh, if anyone wants to jump in there, they can. Um, if there's any late developments or something, you want to, you know, bring me back on for an update. I'm always happy to do that. And uh, if not, I will. Uh, I'll contact you as soon as I I, I got uh, the book together. Right on, buddy. I'll put all the links to all that stuff in the show notes for people so they can find you. Yeah, and the the Sir Bacon guy. Uh, I'll <laughs> I'll send you his number. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. That's, Excellent. That's, that's, Thanks, buddy. All right, Thank John. You so much, guys. See ya. Enjoy Aloha. California. Yeah. And that was a chat with uh, John De Herrera. What do you think, buddy? Yeah. Wow, it was a roller coaster. Roller good. coaster yeah, whirlwind. Sorry about the internet. I, you know, I was gonna say turn off your video, but it was just so nice to look look <coughs> at him when he's talking. I thought, you know, like, you like it's him, kind man. of a selfish yeah, thing, but cute. you know, but we should. The show is a selfish. I should have probably <laughs> just said, just turn off your video so yeah, the internet stays the better. Shows. But it's good to just have that interaction back and forth. You know, like, yeah, it is different when you're just doing audio only. I, I don't like it as much, dude. You were just complaining before. That's the show. other people. This is oh. our own personal video. <laughs> okay. with him. I knew you were gonna bring that up. I thought you might be fascinated with the, with the book, but the book writing and the Hopi stuff, and I mean, even the Article Five seems important. And the Francis Bay, I think I'm onto something. I think that Francis Bacon was divinely we'll have a revenge conceived. In Seattle. He was divinely conceived. He was like he should be like with Jesus and Buddha and all these other people that are actually like immaculate conception. A minute, we're doing the show next week uh, on that book. It'll be fascinating. It's a, I'm really enjoying the book. I bet. So we'll see if Queen Elizabeth comes up in her analysis or goes down. Uh, <laughs> big thing. <laughs> big thanks to John for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. 
Uh, even bigger thanks if you're a supporter of the show. Of course, this show is 100% value for value. Uh, no ads, no affiliates, none of that stuff. So if you can, when you can, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation, whatever you can do to help us keep rolling around here, keep the lights on, keep a roof over Graham's head, everyone's <laughs> head, my head too, I guess, you know, to a certain extent. Uh the secret teachings of all ages should come live anytime but the secret doctrine number one still there still popping adultbrain.ca to get those audio books grammericaoutlaw.ca for the other podcast the two hour show if you remember grammerica.ca says chats just head over to the show notes there's a bunch of stuff in the show notes that you can do it'll take it every place Number one support. We can't do this without you. We love you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I sat on the wall. I could see it all. Trickery was afoot. And evil was at its root. The people were scattered plots Not many could connect the dots Some people stood tall In spite of their righteous voices made small Put down your phone Your soul's turn the rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. I'm shocked and appalled at the technocracy's gone. Pulling strings of marionettes, setting traps in cybernets. Infinite scroll as addictive as cigarettes. Cat videos for freedom of the press. People that stand tall. In spite of our righteous voices made small. Put down your phone. Your souls turn to stone. The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. Double click on install. Rome's about to fall. This hard drive is corrupted, and our minds have been abducted by a silicon dream so seductive. When yelling at bots becomes unproductive People, we need to stand tall In spite of our righteous voices made small Put down your phone Your souls turn to stone the rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. This prison.